Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to Story Smack. Hey, junkies. This is a real girl. And with me... Is Scott Sigler. How are you, Scott Sigler? I'm fantastic. This is the best apocalypse I've ever been in. <laughs> Me too. So Me good. too. So Strangely, good. also the worst apocalypse I've ever been in. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, we are bringing you Story Smack number 50. The Big Five O! 50! What's up? Those of you who are old enough know that's the Hawaii Five. That is the Hawaii Five O theme song. Yeah. That's going to be my new bass solo. I just figured good that out. Good yep. to know. Good to uh, know. So, as Scott mentioned, we are in an, a world-ending apocalypse right now, where it's yes. the best and the worst of times, and um, <laughs> we have noticed an uptick in requests for more, essentially more you, more Sigler, more FDO, more stuff, and yep. we. Uh, appreciate that so much. It's such an interesting thing to feel needed for buffoonery. We do a lot of buffoonery. <laughs> and yet here we are. People are saying like, gosh, that story smack was so fun. It's been so long since there was yeah, a story smack. Yeah. So we d- did a, a one a couple of weeks ago. We're back today with a second. We're going to try to do them more frequently. As you all know, things are a little crazy. You know, How's it going for you? It's going very well. I would like to say that I would like to give a shout out to my third grade teacher. Mrs. Edwards, uh, I don't, she's probably not alive anymore, but I would, if she is alive and ever hears this, I would like her to think back to all the times that she would castigate me for acting the fool in class and say, Scott, do you want to be a buffoon your whole life? And the answer is apparently yes. Well, if it's going to save the world, I'll do my best. (laughs) Yes. We're very good at off the cuff buffoonery here at Empty Sand Entertainment. Now, we are in the underground layer. That is shaped like my head, but you can't see it because it's buried. Mm, but of it course. is. Yeah. We did have a shape like head. Then we backfilled. I mean, we just got it finished we in did. time, I too. just so got lucky. it the way I like it. Just got the way I like it. Uh, we are not using our traditional sweet-ass recording rig. And there is a little bit of some kind of, we're overdriving things a little bit. A little bit of pop, a little bit of hum. A little pop. You might hear a little bit of a crackle. Uh, that's not your not your headphones or anything like that. It's coming in here. We're trying to control as best we can, but if you hear it, please roll with that and we will manage it as best. Yeah. It's another big day today, actually, although this is not the day that you will hear this podcast, you'll hear it uh, in, I don't know, three to five or six days time. I think today is Sigler Ascension Day. Mm. That's right. Today is Sigler Ascension Day. We put up a little, a little fun thing mm-hmm. over at uh, okay. We put it up at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. I'll have to, if you can remind me after this, I'll put it up at scottsigler.com. Okay. But we pulled, I pulled, we well, no, we pulled, we pulled we a pulled. April Fool's Day prank in 2017 <sighs> and it made my mom so mad. And my mom. Oh yeah. Mom I think that like, this is literally an apology, mostly to both of our moms, <laughs> but also pretty much to Nelson McClintock, the junkie poor, Nelson McClintock. Poor Nelson McClintock who manages Sigler Junkies yeah. po- uh, group over Facebook. So- if you go to facebook.com slash Scott Sigler and scroll down, you will see Ma Sigler's Revenge. It's a short one minute, 19 second video. Hope you guys get a kick out of it. I'll also post that at scottsigler.com. So you can go mm-hmm. look at it there. Um, 
But in short, in 2017, we were in Ireland. Yeah, we were on the European tour. On the European tour. And we put out a video that said I had just signed a deal to co-write a book with James Patterson, a YA book called Sparkle Horse. Sparkle Horse. Lord's sake. And we thought it was totally obvious. Except Super transparent. <laughs> and I went on some Pixel or whatever, some random website where you can make book covers. I'm like, sure, I'll just throw it together. And the book cover came out phenomenal. It uh, looks and so good. Didn't Sherry make t-shirts? Sherry yes, made t-shirts. I think t-shirts. somebody made t-shirts or maybe she made the fo- the faux book cover and put it on the copy yeah, of Infected. So, yeah. And maybe even Ariok. Somebody made a t-shirt too. It There's was all epic. kinds of stuff. But we, and everybody absolutely believed it. I thought the concept of me writing a YA story called Sparkle Horse yeah. <laughs> was so beyond the pale. I was wrong. And I was wrong. The worst of it is we were not in our normal time zone or anything. So we were like, ha ha ha, this is everybody's gonna appreciate this. This is gonna and a lot of people got excited. Uh, a lot of people are kind of just like sort of not into uh, April Fools. And therefore, because it became a thing, they had to deal with it. And yes. so that was also annoying. And we were out at an Irish bar drinking with Irish junkies. It was a whole big thing. And That's then the great. next day we wake up like, wait, what? Yeah. What? People were having a good time. Obvi- apparently not, obviously, but obviously this was a joke. This is a gag, y'all. This is, I thought it was and so And I'm not obvious. sure there was anyone. Even all of you in Sigler Junkies uh, and the founder of Sigler Junkies, Nelson, was not a big fan. All of you, I promise you, Ma Sigler was so, so much more upset. Mad. She was so mad because she loves James Patterson. So more, much more and upset. And she never got the me- she never got the follow-on message the next day. She literally was just, my son is writing a book with James Patterson. I'm so excited. He's my second favorite writer after Scott's. And I can't read all of Scott's books, but I know I can read oh, this one. Yeah. It was on. And then like a week later, we get back from Europe. And she's like, oh my gosh, congratulations. And you're like, what? You, what? <laughs> Ooh, and she was mad for years. And she got, she got some revenge. Now, the revenge she obtained or acted or whatever, you, whatever the, the proper enacted, the revenge she enacted um, was not as dramatic as I've made it out to be in the video we have posted, but it's, it's pretty, I was, I was pretty impressed. I was pretty yeah. impressed with yeah, Carol's yeah. She activity. Did a good job. And your mom, of course, who reads everything very quickly was not, not happy. She did ask me today if I wanted to send along the first draft that she would read it and give feedback. Uh, for Sparkle Horse? Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, so what, what, happy Sigler Ascension Day. This same to you. Yeah. Happy Sigler Ascension Day. I don't know how many Sigler Ascension Days this is. The uh, it's 12, thir- 13, 12. 13. Well, the 7th, 2007. Yeah. It'd be the 13th Sigler Ascension Day. The 50th episode of Story Smack. There's all it's kinds all of coming good together. stuff going on today. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that. So again, this will come out sometime next week, but we are recording it on Sigler Ascension Day. We have had a handful of requests for, we normally do a sale of books and merchandise and stickers and t-shirts and stuff like that. And we've had more than one request. Uh, Are we going to do a sale? A Sigler Ascension Day sale. Yeah, Yeah. because people would love to support us. And um, I... I think you said it on Facebook. I've said it, I've sent a few emails that are replied to a few texts that say the same thing. Like that is so heartwarming for us. And it's really hard to express how great it is to have people who are just as worried about us as we are of them mm-hmm. in this weird, weird timeline. Um, but the reality is that we felt weird asking for a non-essential thing and we would like to save those asks for when we need them. So, yeah. um, one email that I got today said, but you also, two weeks ago, you put up a book bundle free for download. 
which is still down. We'll talk about that in a second. And so I want to be able to do something. And the answer for us in both these cases is we're not putting up a sale because uh, we've uh, to, at the risk of sounding too highfalutin, our moral imperative says it's not the time for that. Yes, there are other correct. things to focus on on a payday and a rent day that is the weirdest that we've had globally ever in our lifetimes. Yep. In my lifetime, anyway, not everybody's lifetime. And so we'll certainly make asks again in the future. But for right now, we just appreciate you looking out for us and appreciate that yeah. you enjoy the stories and enjoy the work that we do. And I've gotten a couple of requests for, uh, okay, what, what, what can we go buy for you guys right now to provide you the maximum benefit? And our answer is don't worry about it. Don't, worry, don't worry about, about us. us. Don't worry about don't us. Don't worry about us. When, trust me, when I either uh, am broke and <laughs> need the book sale so yeah. I can go buy scotch or I've got the COVID, yeah. I will... I will holler. And you'll know I have the COVID. Because? Because I'll come on like this. Oh, I don't feel so good. I'm all congested about the face and the throat and I might have a dry cough. Do you have a dry cough? <laughs> That's how you will know. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So here's the thing, Marvin. <laughs> I think I just got the look that says that's uh, un, that's that's tasteless. I mean, no, it's not that it was tasteless. <laughs> it's that I felt like I, I mean, I grew up in New York City in an apartment building with like 75 Jewish uh, boobies, right? And that was all of them. They were like, okay, get, take this nickel, but or take this quarter, but don't buy chips until tomorrow. You already had chips today. That sort of thing. So that wasn't a, is you've gone too far. That was a, oh, okay, okay. Mrs. Silva, I won't do that. <laughs> but um, the reality is this, we are, we are trying, um, Scott is a creator, whether or not he wants to be, he is working super hard during this, this lockdown. We are in California. If you don't know that we are sheltering in place. Uh, now it's, I think day 20 for us. And um, yeah, might be 90. I'm not exactly sure, but it's been a while. And Scott is taking, as you may know, if you've ever been to Sigler Fest, if you've ever been out to a um, tour stop or anything like that, you know, Scott is, um, is a little bit easily distractible. Yes. And he's doing absolutely hero's work, taking this found time, for lack of a better word, to try and catch up on some of the deadlines that we've been catching up on for years. But now he can't go to the gym. He can't do all of this. And he's trying to pour all of his energy that he would have been doing those things into getting more of our deadlines caught up. And it's so, so appreciated that you guys are like, cool, how can we help you do that? And the reality is this, here's how you can do it. We have a free ebook bundle that is mm -hmm. up at scottsigler.com. We'll also link to that post in the show notes for this post when it, or this podcast when it comes out. And if you want, if there is anybody in your life who's like, dude, I'm crawling the walls. Mom is on the computer all day for work now that she works from home. So I'm not even allowed to watch movies or play on the computer or anything like that because it takes up too much bandwidth. This is a free ebook download bundle. It's got the first five GFL books in it, a bunch of novellas. It's got a 50 page or 60 page um, preview of EarthCore, and it is downloadable and shareable as widely as you want to share it. Yep. That will help us help you. And that is a thing we want. We want you to download it. We want you to spread the word about it. It will be free until everybody's back to work, until concerts are still happening. It's just going to be there. And that is a thing you can do to help us because we think that everybody needs entertainment even if they can't afford it, even if they're not ready yeah. for it. You, even guys, if you guys can help us help other people because exactly. we know money's going to be tight for a lot of people and options are tight because you're stuck at home. So for all those, uh, all those readers out there who happen, who can e-read, which is pretty much everybody, yeah. we've got uh, 12 stinking books, including five full GFL novels, four GFL novellas, 
Mm -hmm. That's the whole, almost the whole kit and caboodle right out of the gate. Yep. And we have recently had a partnership with a a company called Author Loyalty who helped us clean up the ebook bundle that we gave away for our 10th anniversary Mm -hmm. so that now the typos that were there five years ago are gone, things like that. And we encourage you guys to take a look at that, share it far and wide. If any of you know teachers, are married to teachers, are siblings with teachers, Share that with them just in case, because they're all having to figure out a way to distance learn with their students. And it's a very likely thing that they'll never go back to school this year. I mean, Mm -hmm. right now in California, everybody's not going back until May. But I know like for our friends at Author Loyalty, they're out for the rest of the year and they're on the other coast. Um, So that will probably be likely for most people. So that's a thing that you can do that we would appreciate. Share that resource with people because it will remain free. And if they have technical issues, uh, one note, everybody has to download the bundle onto a computer, not a mobile device to unzip it so that they can get the mobile, the pieces of the mobile that they want onto their mobile phone. But if anybody's having trouble with that, if anybody from any teacher, anybody just message that along with it. If you have any trouble and give them info at empty set and they can email me and I will help them. That is something you can do to help us. Another thing you can do to help us is come say hello. It's, uh, every, um, a couple times every week, I, I will be doing at least a couple of times every week. We will be doing on Facebook Live uh, what we're calling Sigler in place. Yes, lots of you who are listening to this have seen us do the uh, COVID nineteen face lettuce FDO, bracket. The FDO's <laughs> CDC COVID face lettuce tournament. Yes, and so Scott, if you have not seen him recently, he is sporting a full glorious beard that is maybe two or three inches down from his chin. It is a full face beard and it is non-CDC compliant if they ask us to start wearing masks. So in an effort to entertain himself and us and everybody, he is having um, a fine, a, a Uh, March Madness, essentially, since we don't get to have March Madness, he's doing a tournament Mm -hmm. and everybody can vote. The way it is, is every morning at around seven or 8 a.m., he posts the bracket for that day, the match for that day. You have to vote on that post. And then at 7 p.m. until this tournament is over every day, every weekday at 7 p.m., he gets on Facebook Live, goes through that tournament, chats with junkies. I'm in the chat room, too. I'm not always on camera because it's a little hard to do that with the way Facebook Live works. But um But I'm there and it's super great for us to get to talk to you guys and ask questions and see everybody out there healthy and or not whatever, just showing up or whatever. So that's a way you can support us because just like you guys, we're stuck in the house, right? So we're stuck inside. We can't go out. So that's a way you can support us and support Scott doing what he's doing. Ranking up the buffoonery. Once the tournament is over, I'll be honest, I don't think that we'll Sigler in place every single weekday. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we'll always Sigler in place at 7 p.m. because we've had a handful of requests from around the world that like that's 3.20 in the morning for me. Can you can you give me a break? Yeah, you talked about after this tournament is done, we're going to start Running around like we a spread good out time the love for Australia, a little bit. good time for Europe. Right. And it probably is not going to be voting every day, but it'll just no, be a little bit no. of a little, a little bit of sun. a space for people who have one thing in common to get online for half an hour, 45 minutes and chat with each other. So um, that would be a thing, sharing that with folks, especially with folks who may have read a Sigler book or folks who are big readers but have never read a Sigler book, you know, that sort of thing. That would be helpful for us too. And then the biggest thing that we can say is just understand that we're, this is the first time that everybody in the world is going through something together Mm -hmm. that affects all of us equally. Like it doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter how wealthy you are. It doesn't matter any of that. We all have the same potential risk and it helps to have a community. And so just stay safe, stay inside, let us know you're okay. And that's, I think those three things will help us quite a lot. 
And if you need to donate, you can donate elsewhere. So uh, if you guys hear this in time on April 2nd, it's the number three seed Painter's Brush versus number 14 seed Lampshade. And we finish out the first round on April 3rd with the number six anchor versus, I think, an underdog, the 11th seed Zappa, Mm, the Frank Zappa. Zappa. So we, uh, I'll give you guys, in case you guys haven't heard, again, this is while we are doing the tournament, nightly, 7 p.m. Pacific time, facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. We're doing Facebook Live. You guys get in there. The uh, number 16 horseshoe, a- a.k.a. the Hulkster, upset mm-hmm. the number one seated walrus. Ah, uh, the, the walrus. The Ron Swanson. That was my, that Swanson. was, uh, it's funny because we've had a handful of questions about how the seating happened. There's apparently controversy. Well, yeah, and controversy. I, I don't even know how the seating happened. The selection but, committee got a payoff. I don't know. But what, that might have been from me, even though I don't <laughs> think so, because what happened is I looked at the seed and I was like, well, of course the Swanson should be first. That, you would think so. But ba- I don't think I gave, I made any payoff. I don't even know who the committee is. Bacon infused libertarian mustache out right away. So the horseshoe, the Hulkster won 41 to 27. And then the next match was the Clark Gable pencil versus the soul patch. Clark Gable won a narrow one. That was an eight, nine matchup. Pencil won 43, 37. The third match, number four villain defeated the number 13 Zoro soundingly 67 to 20. And number five seed stash and patch, AKA the Garth, the Garth Knight uh, beat Clean Shaven, a.k.a. The Rock, won 54-34, another good match. And then last night, we had uh, the number two seed Side Whiskers, oh, a.k.a. Yeah. The Shack, the up shack. against the number 15 seed Chevron, a.k.a. The Magnum P.I. What an ass whooping. What an incredible blowout. Here's my favorite. Every time somebody didn't like the side whiskers, Mm -hmm. they had exactly the same, almost exactly the same comment. So much so, the only time it has happened in this uh, tournament, they were weirdly verbatim. Like, oh my God, a bald head and side whiskers would not be my thing. They were unhappy with that idea. You, you people do not respect the Shaq. You do not respect the Superman. Not that I'm disappointed because I'm a huge fan. But the Magnum strange PI thing fan. about that is Shaq is exactly that. Yeah. He's bald headed. Yep. So when they would say bald head, I don't think that would look good. I'm like, are you it's looking Shaq. at that gorgeous man? Have you looked at Shaq, Jimmy Christmas? So that wound up what uh, uh, the 15 seed upset, upset the number two seed, not just upset, won 86 to six. You know why? Because Shaq can't make free throws. That's why that's happened. I, I kept well. following him. So, and then tonight is the Kurt Russell handlebar mm. versus the Tony Stark Balbo. And mm. uh, we'll see how that goes. But you guys will not be in time for that. So come on back. And then once we finish the first round, we're moving around the second round. The second round will be April 4th, I believe. The Horseshoe versus the Pencil. Uh, April 5th, the Villain versus the Stash and Patch. And then after that, it'll be the Chevron versus whoever wins, et cetera. We get down to the final four, final two, finally crowned a champion. And then we will video it up, me trimming my hair. Oh, Lord. In, uh, and Ace said, this is to entertain me. No, it's to entertain you at my expense. That is the reason for it. Now, <laughs> I mean, it's certainly to entertain me. Maybe that's what you seems, misunderstood. Everybody seems to be having a good time with yeah. this. With this. Here we go. Now, what, where, what now? Okay, so what we're doing is this. The, the last two things I have to say is, as ever, if you have questions... Um, and you would like to send them so that so that I can feed them to Scott before Facebook Live, mm-hmm. because once this tournament is over, we are going to Facebook Live. And so if you have a question in advance, just send it to info at empty set. He'll have it on paper in front of him for whenever the time comes for questions with your name, all that stuff. 
So just feel free to do that whenever you think about it. And number two, this is your official Story Smack spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Today, we are specifically talking about two films. Um, Memory, the making of an alien. Yep. Or the origins of an alien. One making the origins of an alien. Mm-hmm. And Alien. Not just Alien. This is where it gets interesting. The director's cut The director's alien. cut. Of Alien. And because I am not the same fan that Scott is for this trilogy, and therefore I think lots of you might be a little like me, I will say very specifically, we are talking about the first Alien movie Mm -hmm. in the franchise. Yep. The director's cut that was never theatrically released. Correct. If you are a huge Scott Sigler fan, you know his favorite movie on Earth is in this franchise. To be perfectly clear, his favorite movie is the sequel to this movie that we're watching. Yes. So, as ever, spoiler alert for this, spoiler alert for a lot of things, this is your spoiler alert. If you hear us say, oh yeah, there was that one moment in The Rookie, and you haven't read The Rookie, and you don't want to worry about a spoiler, skip ahead 15 seconds. Because everything is spoilable after this moment. I will say that uh, if you've watched Alien, but you have not watched the director's cut of Alien, which we're going to get to is significantly different. I don't think this podcast will spoil anything for you. I think it will actually increase your desire to go see the director's cut. Mm -hmm. So if you have not seen the director's cut of Alien, you can turn this off now and come back later, but it is not at all. It's not critical. You know how the movie ends. And one of the things that we're trying to do is we're trying to pick inexpensive options. So both memory, the origin of an alien, the origins of an alien and the alien director's cut are available for $5 or less on some of your viewing streaming options. I think, uh, Amazon prime. uh, I think Amazon prime. And, but I mean, it's still still five bucks, four or five bucks over there. Yeah. But but we're not picking $20 options and that will always be true. I think while we're all on lockdown, but we'll, we'll see. And if not, we'll let you know. Once the tournament's over, we're going to go back to the wheels of death. For sure. And that is our way of picking story smack movies. So we pick it. First, we pick a decade with the Wheel of Death. Then we pick a genre. And then from there, we go through what's available on Netflix because most Uh, people's free access is to Netflix. And we get it from Netflix. And then so for future story smacks, since we're getting this going again, most of them will cost nothing if you have Netflix. Otherwise, you got to track them down. But this here we go. So here we go. I, at this point, have been talking the whole time, and I'm going to transfer it to you because I already bowed down and admit, oh my goodness, I learned so much. I am so much of, I I have seen these movies, I've seen them more than once, but I am still much more of a novice than you are. It's a religion to me. These are absolutely my, these are the reason I write books. And it was lovely to watch the director's cut with you because Mm -hmm. I noticed without any prompting one difference Mm -hmm. from the movie because it changes the plot. Yeah. That's the only one. But you, after that, you would stop and say, did you notice? Did you see? And that's lovely. So I'm going to hand over kind of the reins to you. The first thing we have to point out is this is a very strange director's cut. Ridley Scott, say what you will about Ridley Scott's directorial and storytelling ability. Now, uh, back then, it, this movie blew everyone's privates clean off. It was it was following on Star Wars and Star Trek in this clean, happy fantasy land version. Where we'll meet of the aliens future. and they will all be subservient yeah, and be good cute. to us. They'll be chewy. They'll be cuddly. They'll be an. Did you say chewy? Chewy. 
Oh, you mean Chewy? Yeah, Chewbacca. Oh, Lord. Yes, Chewy. I was like, that went sideways. Oh, I know. I'm not eating the alien. Well, I, <laughs> I know, it's well. only because I haven't had an opportunity to yeah, kill them and there. eat them. As um, far as you know. As far as I know. And Ewoks and all this fun and toys and merch and all this, this fun, fan, fancy stuff. And then along comes Ridley Scott's alien, Dan O'Bannon's script. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the primary reason to watch Memory, the making of an alien, is to see the storyline of Dan O'Bannon, the guy who wrote it, who's no longer with us. And I learned so much about wh- how he came to write this script. It's a, it's amazing storytelling. But I, I will say, I think that and also how H.R. Geiger got oh, in the yeah, mix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those Geiger. things are lovely in the documentary that we mentioned, and, Origins of an Alien. And I'm I'm one of the people who's not happy with Ridley Scott for Prometheus and for Covenant and like, like what, what happened to you? What's going on? Mm-hmm. But back then he was straight up gangster. He was like stood up to like, well, I want to use this guy Geiger for the art. And the studio was like, no, you're not using Geiger. And Ridley's like, but I thought I won't make the movie. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, I guess you can use, he was a badass. Like yeah. Ridley Scott was a badass and he stuck to his artistic vision. And you learned so much from watching memory that added so much to me watching the director's cut, all these little touches where you did, I didn't know he put so much thought into these various things. But me too, me too. And so much of the uh, the thing you see in Origins, the making of an alien is, or memory, the making or whatever, is um, the, the overreaching um, set design, yeah. which I never, I'll be honest, I never noticed. And maybe I, there's no way you couldn't, but there are viewers out there who are like me, who know the storyline, who've seen the movies more than once, but never quite noticed the echoes in the set design, in the uniforms, yeah. in the in the planet, in the terraforming, in all of that, mm-hmm. that are these subtle mother references, these subtle, subtle queen ref- the, to this particular art. Mm-hmm. And it was gorgeous. It was really informative. It was pretty amazing. Um, as you guys... As you, if you can't tell already, I'm going to go off on a lot of tangents and go off the rails on this because it was magic. I loved every second of both memory. And then if you haven't watched memory and you haven't watched director's cut, watch memory, then watch the director's cut. But the point I was making with following on Star Wars was Star Wars is this happy fantasy land. And of course, Star Trek is this utopia where there's no money and everybody gets along. And everybody's bipedal. And every everybody's bipedal. And then all of a sudden along comes, uh, can you look up when Alien came out? I think it's 79. Sure. 78, 79, uh, all along comes alien. Instead of being in a Federation starship with everybody with their color coded, perfectly pressed polyester uniforms. May 25th, 1979. 1979. Here comes alien, which is a truck in space, a beat up shit pile truck and truckers in outer space. And in the United States, you've seen them. It's the 1-800-GOT-JUNK truck. Yeah, it's dirty, it's beat up, and it's utilitarian. This is a ship that is used by real people on a regular basis. And that was, now Now you think about, that may not sound like a lot to you now, but when that happened, nobody had seen anything like that before. There's rust, there's dirt on the walls, the thing is beat up, and it's perfectly functional, like most Working garbage truck service vehicles. Exactly. Tow, it's a tow truck. It's a hauler. It's literally called, yeah. a, it's, it's a tow vehicle. So that was right, right out of the gate. You're looking at something very different, something that broke tradition and did something that nobody had done before. Right. And in the Armada that you would imagine in Star Wars, the Armada you would imagine in Star Trek, not that they had a lot of Armadas, um, you still never think of the salvage truck, the yeah. salvage vehicle. 
You, you think of you the destroyers, the you think of the carriers, yeah. you think of the medics, you think of all of that, but you don't think of somebody's got to pick up all that junk. You don't think of, of, of you know, Morty and Ben who got to come repair that goddamn warp drive. This right. thing conked out again? Jesus. Or you crashed 17 uh, enemy ships onto the surface of that asteroid and we need all that iron. Go get it. <laughs> you guys got to clean this up. What do you mean we got to clean it up? Just go you clean it up. You made this mess. I don't want to clean it up. Morty, <laughs> Morty, go so, clean it up. The crazy thing about this director's cut, and I don't think there's anything else like this, is can you please look up the runtime of Alien, the original Alien? And I'll tell you that in a second. Most director's cuts- One hour, 57 minutes. One hour, 57 minutes. Most director's cuts take a bunch of edited scenes, scenes that were left on the cutting room floor, and they put them back in, in the right context, so you can see the director's vision. Um, James Cameron's, what was the, gosh, I'm blanking out. What was the underground movie or the underwater movie from James Cameron? The Abyss. Uh, the Abyss. The Abyss director's cut, get get a box of popcorn and a colostomy bag because you're going to be there for a while. <laughs> you're going you're gonna to have a pee bag handy because you can't, it's, it's amazing, but it's incredibly, incredibly long. And 33 minutes of scenes cut out of that. The director's cut of Alien is one minute shorter than the theatrical version. Which I kind of love because back to your idea that uh, Ridley Scott was a badass. Yeah. He went in and was like, fine, when I didn't have all the clout I wanted, and he had so much clout, but I didn't have all the clout I wanted. You made me, made me do these other things. And he took out scenes that he didn't like and still made the, the, I think he didn't mind the runtime, which is really for the time in 1979, that's quite long. They should have been less than 90 yeah, minutes. That was, that was pretty long. So it was still pretty long. And he was like, cool, I get that. I don't want to make it longer. I don't have that artistic need. I need to make it right. He, he made it. He, he really wanted to make it different. So he, and the scenes he, and a lot of it's subtle. Uh, some of the scenes are different camera angles, slightly extended scenes, slightly different versions of things that we've already seen. I was able, I'm pretty sure I spotted probably 70% of them. I'm sure there were some that slipped by because I haven't sure. seen in a while. Mm -hmm. But he took, so he took scenes out, put other scenes in, and the whole movie is now, and it's significant. There's, there are significant differences. It's one minute shorter. Mm -hmm. So that alone, if you're a movie buff, is a super cool thing to look for. All right, let's get into the movie. We're going to do our, uh, our minute by minute breakdown. Unless All you have right. any other points before we no, get into the, the granularity, as we call it. All right. Yes. Some All people right, have the singularity. Right, right. We have the granularity. Number one, um... We were going to look up who was a star when the movie came out. Well, we know that John Hurt was. John Hurt was a star at that point. Yeah, because he and he who played, who played Dallas. Uh, uh, let me look up that. But Sigourney think. Weaver was not a star, and this absolutely catapulted her into fame that she was able to support by being such a rock star for for a while. Um, but this made a couple of different careers. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. So YA is looking that up. Tom Skerritt played Dallas, and he was also a star at the time, I think. I don't think he was... Probably wasn't a huge star, no, but, but he, he was had on some the clout. map. He definitely had clout. In 1979, he had done a handful of Decade of Influence movies. Okay. He was definitely had clout, but also the industry was different then too. But I think for sure, Tom Skerritt and and definitely John Hurt. Yeah. Absolutely stars. I will, as a side note, we'll get to this. Most, <laughs> the, the memory, the making of an alien documentary is about... 90 minutes long, maybe mm-hmm. longer. Most of that is dedicated to the John Hurt chest bursting scene. <laughs> and rightfully so, I'm rightfully, not going to Rightfully so. so. I will also say in my estimation, just off the cuff, I think Harry Dean Stanton was definitely a working actor at the time. I'm not sure he, he, he that was that the peak of his fame. Him, I don't know if that elevated him or he just was a great character actor his whole he's, life. I like he's great. Pesci or Giamatti or um, um, Buscemi. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think for sure Ian Holm was quite a star, but he, okay. he was, a, he's a, he stage. is a stage and Shakespearean actor. So he definitely, definitely was a star, but might oh, not yeah. have been a sci-fi star. I'll tell you star. what, you guys, if you're, if you're even remotely a fan of Alien and Aliens like I am, you watch, when you watch Memory, The Making of an Alien, and then you watch Alien, either version, Ian Holm's performance jumps up a hundredfold. Now you watch it again after watching the documentary and you're like, holy crap, there's a lot going on that was never, they had a ton of subtext and they didn't bring it out. And now you get it. Yeah. And, and he's a theatrically trained Shakespearean actor Mm -hmm. at that time in his life. He's been through the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art and all that other stuff and does that performance, which is, you know, subtle. Yeah. Subtle. <laughs> he definitely does things in Alien that he will not have done on the stage in Stratford-on-Avon, <laughs> like spit pneumatic juice out of his mouth yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I will say, before we get into the granularity, the breakdown, um, the other super fun thing about Memory, the Making of an Alien, is while they go into exquisite detail and there is stuff you didn't know and you are seeing the symbolism and the recurring themes that Ridley Scott is putting on the screen, things you didn't see before now make more sense. There's also an enormous amount of ridiculous over-analysis of people people reading stuff into the movie that you're sitting on your couch with your beer and you're like, what is that crazy MF talking about? That's just ridiculous. So that's another super fun part of it. All right, here we go. We open up the movie. What I want to know, A. Kovacs, uh, space engineer and interstellar garbage hauler is if everybody is in their little sleep pods, why are there lights on in the ship? Oh Lord. Oh, you can't do this to me. You can't do this. There's, there's, parts so the ship the, there's parts of the ship where the lights are off and okay. where they're sleeping, but then there's just rooms with the lights on. What the, well, I mean, I think this is a gimme, right? Like this is a, we can't tell the story if you can't see the characters, right? I don't care so much about that, but you know, there's a cat. There's a cat. 
The Who's cat sleeping? is not hooked up to any kind of life life oh, monitoring. Yeah. Isn't, isn't he in one of the things? He's in one of the pods. I'm making a hand gesture that's like that a nobody pod. can see. Yeah. yeah. Like- yes, he's in Ripley's pod. However, Ripley, like if you think of that, there has to be a biometrics measuring, right? And my guess is, I know this is over the top, but my guess is that they go in barefoot because they all go in barefoot. Yeah. And I think there's biometrics in the foot pads. Fair. Hadn't thought of that. Which means the chubby cat, how, how, what, did, were there toe bean biometrics? Was there something like toe, that? Toe bean? Did Would you say t- the word toe bean? Yeah, but that's what they- What I, does that mean? Oh, toe beans. little toe bean. <laughs> Have you never heard <laughs> toe bean? I thought it was, I thought it was the scientific name for cat. Cat feet. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like how, will you ever stop amazing me with your endless treasure chest? No, of it's knowledge? an internet thing. No, toe beans. Toe beans. Okay, yeah. cool. But there, I didn't notice any cat toe beans. So, uh, like yes. biometric toe beans or whatever. So, so there are parts of the ship where the lights are off because mm-hmm. no one's awake. It makes sense. And parts of the ship where the lights are randomly on. Anyways, we get now we get into my probably my favorite part of it out of all the glory that is this movie. My favorite part about seven minutes, seven minutes and 20, 30 seconds in everybody's puffing away on cigarettes like crazy. <laughs> Here we are in a spaceship and burning through oxygen, lighting up them cigarettes all uh-huh. day long. Uh-huh. And like what's interesting is that so that happens when they're waking up and whatever. And also the first thing they do, which is so communal, is they go eat. And th- what are they eating? Like to to give you an example in the matrix movies once you're in your in real life yeah. with your crewmates mm-hmm. your clothes are dirty for no understandable reason other than washing machines went away a while ago but you're eating absolute gruel yeah they're eating some sort of sprout and also a spaghetti well, it's a and huge, something. It's a huge, huge ship and they have stores. It'd be just like being on an aircraft carrier I know, for but a sprout four or five months. But who is replanting those sprouts? Maybe that's why the lights were on. Again, who turned the lights and- Mother did. And planted the sprouts. You know what? These are the kind of details that just bother people. I don't know why you're asking these things. Because <laughs> you asked me! <laughs> okay. Uh, and then, let's see. The first 10 minutes of the film are used to set up space, the void, the ship. Shows how the crew ha- gets along, works well together, and heavily establishing this is a workaday bunch. Uniforms, when they are worn, are rumpled, dirty, unbuttoned. The guy's got a Hawaiian shirt on, hats. It's just, this is clearly a bunch of assembly line workers flying a giant ship. Now, there are scenes where you see that they really, really know their business and they are smart as smart AF, but we we get, this is a workaday bunch. And then nine minutes in, we get the most ridiculous, possibly the only ridiculous prop in the movie, because most of the props are great and look like this is a well, well, well-worn many voyages ship. But then we get to the room, the mother room. Oh my gosh. You hate this the so much. The white room with randomly blinking lights. Lord. Oh, not, not even like a control board with randomly blinking lights. The entire room is full of randomly blinking white lights. And you look at it now and you're like, how could Ridley Scott get so much so right? And then you go into this clean womb-like mother room and there's just what? What purpose would the randomly blinking lights serve behind you and up at an angle? Okay, junkies, friends, you guys out there. I'm mad. I know. Pretend Scott's not listening. (laughs) Oh my God, he's been wigging out about this for weeks now. Like a week now. Okay. In real life, here's my thought. Because you wigged out so much about it, I've been thinking about it. Oh, I love it. My guess is there was nothing to model on. 
because we had very recently been to the moon like a decade earlier. Which did not have a room full of white blinking lights. But we had no way to know that in 1979. There was no internet. There was only pictures that came on the news from the surface. And there was no, let me take a sh- tour of JPL and share that on the World Wide Web. There okay. was nothing like that. Okay. So my best guess is he was trying to imagine a brain interface which needed a zillion shots into your head because what happens is he goes and he sits literally right in the middle of that room and he's not accessing anything. But my, my imagination says he's that, that mother is accessing him somehow. That was the point because, because Ridley Scott had to imagine a thing that didn't exist. And so, and he couldn't model it on anything, right? Because it wasn't a computer because a computer at that time was several rooms big. Mother was a computer. But I mean, he couldn't model it on a real life computer because that was these big IBM blocks that took up warehouses of space to Mm -hmm. get one gigabyte. And that wasn't going to happen, but he could model garbage trucks. He could model salvage ships. He could model all of that stuff. So I think he was just trying to make something sort of futuristic and- not seen in our world. So if he was going to do a real computer model based on real computers at the time, that looked very terrestrial. But he got so much of the real computers absolutely right. And, we're, and this is in my list of things to talk about, like like the, the cockpit area and watching people use computers to get information. And the computer itself in the, in the mother womb room, those look super low-tech, easily maintained, easily repaired, and workaday and usable. I, I'm completely guessing, and this is completely seat of my pants, but I really think he was trying to differentiate from an actual salvage ship available in 1979 and a spaceship in the far future might have a clean room like that. Okay. And to okay. be fair, there are clean rooms now. There are specialized things now that that we didn't have in the 70s or the 80s even that- I have no idea what they look like, but that means neither did Ridley Scott. Of course. Uh, I just came up with a great idea. I'm going to go back and record a pre-intro to this. I'm going to go back and record a pre-intro. And the pre-intro is going to be turning this particular story smack into a drinking game. And the drinking game is... Every time A or I say the word workaday, <laughs> when, when we say workaday, if you are, uh, I'll explain it in the beginning of the episode. So when you hear this now, you're probably already half, half in the bag uh, if you are not a teetotaler. So I say that because we, one of the things that struck me is the workaday truck and space angle of the ship really helps these FX age extremely well. Because like you might look at it like, why don't they have a 3D hologram navigational interface? I mean, I've seen that in other movies. What about passengers? Great for special effects. The thing is, this isn't a big fancy ship. This is the quote unquote commercial towing, the quote commercial towing vehicle Nostromo, end quote. It's basically, this is a 1982 Ford F-150 with roll down windows, no cruise control and no AC. It is stripped down to the gills. So the the very simple special effects, you might look at them and go, oh, well, that's silly. Computers would look like that. They're even better now. But again, this is a ship that is in space with no support doing decades, if not centuries long runs out to get something and bring it back. The simpler it is, the mm-hmm. more easily repairable it is, the lower, the, the lower detail, the graphics means the less processing means the less, less parts you need. 
Which goes back to my point that maybe Ridley Scott was trying to do justice to things he couldn't possibly imagine. Because I will say that that is a thing that pulls me out a lot in older movies, Mm -hmm. but it is tiny, tiny technology. It's the crazy brick cell phone Mm -hmm. in Bachelor Party. You're like, oh Lord, it's not the haircut, Tom Hanks. What are you doing with that giant phone? You know, like that feels like this, we none got, of this would ever do, happen. We got to do a bachelor party story. I hope now. it holds up. I'm a little afraid Oh, of to course watch. it holds up. How dare you? I How mean, dare you? I mean, it I'm might offended. not. It might not. I'm pretty sure. Guns and chicks and fire trucks and chicks. Of course it holds up. I hope. Also, bestiality, a uh, little misogyny. A little? Yeah, okay. Well, we'll... we'll We'll find out. We may have a story smack that goes like this. Hey, you guys, we watched Bachelor Party. We can't talk about it. Come back next week. Uh, uh, yes, but but Tawny Katane, Tawny Katane. Those of you old enough to know that name, you will uh, you will are probably sighing right now. Tawny Katane. Twelve minutes into the movie, back to Alien, we get the big plot shift, and it's a good one. It's a good one. Our cast has been awoken, awoken, awoken. Eaten. They're they're. Uh, I mean, they have eaten. They've been awoken. They've uh, eaten, and they are trying to contact the Antarctica traffic controls. They think they're back home, and they're talking about the bonuses they're going to get and how they're going to go party and do it all this and get some good food. Turns out they are not in Antarctica. Oh lord, near they're Antarctica. nowhere near. They're nowhere home. near Earth. They have been awoken to investigate the tra- a transmission of unknown origin, and uh, I think I pronounced right. Uh, pronounced his name right. Uh, Baphomet. Can you look up the the other engineer? Sure. And Bathmets is to me out of all the fantastic acting and the fantastic performances Ridley Scott pulled out of everybody. This gentleman absolutely took the cake. Um there's we're starting to see see you know uh there's a scene where we can walk on it where they're talking about LV427. And that there is several small slices that weren't in the original. So we're going to talk about, hold on. I, we're, we're not doing any cuts, you guys, because we're in a low budget situation, but some scenes are cut. Other scenes are added. And you can see a lot of times where they were very efficient. I think you're thinking of Yafet is the actor's Yafet. name. You're talking about Parker is Parker, the character's Parker. name. Parker. Sorry, Yafet. sorry that took me What's so his long. What's last name? Yafet. Uh, Yafet Koto is the Yafet actor's Koto. name. I spelled it. I spelled it incorrectly, but he he absolutely sells it as the self-serving crew member who's like always worried about money. Like, give me, you give me a little something extra, a little something on the slide. Come on, come on. But he's also, you know, you think about that today, and he, it's this tiny microcosm of, you know, what you signed on, you'll get what your, your contract says you'll get. You're like, yeah, but I didn't have any. Like, really, that nobody told me about all this right here. Yeah, and I'm working just as hard as you are. And you've got you've got Scotty in Star Trek, who's a wonderful character. And exaggerating the difficulty of what he's doing to make Kirk think he's a miracle worker. It's it's funny. It's campy. It's funny. Except in this one, uh, Parker is like when uh, Ripley played by... Jeez, oh, Pete, where's my Sigourney brain? Weaver. Sigourney Weaver. Holy cow. They called... Ripley says, I'm coming down to see what you guys are working on. After they land the ship and the ship has taken some damage, has to be repaired. And instead of like, oh, that's great, Captain. Why don't you come down and help us out? Yeah, yeah. Parker's like, why the fuck is she coming down here? Like the same reaction we have every day in our work. When you're sitting in your cubicle, banging away on that gosh darn TPS report... And then here comes your boss leaning on your on your thing. Like, why are you here? You don't even know what I do. But you know what's groundbreaking? What? Is he's mad that she's coming down to quote unquote check his work or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's not mad that she's a woman. 
Yeah. Because that line could have been, there's none of that. Gender is non. It's absolutely present. It is not a point of contention. Not at all. Because he says, why, why is that? And Absolutely. At some yeah, point not, he calls her a why, bitch. Not why is that dumb bitch coming down? Like, right. Just, that doesn't happen. Superior. And everybody calls each other ass. Sometimes it's bitch, all of that. But it isn't used in a, hey, we all know that we made her the hero because she's a chick, but she's not really all that. Like, it's never that. It's lovely because it's exactly how it probably should be. Like with the term guys. Guys is now unisex. Mm -hmm. Guys can be all girls or all boys. My bitches should sort of be both too. It's kind of nice. And Dan O'Bannon, this is another reason why I think this movie is an influence on me. Dan O'Bannon wrote the script as intersex. He picked names that wasn't Sally. Mm -hmm. Like all of the, you look through all the names of the characters in this could have been played by male or female, trans, anything. It's wide open. It doesn't, it doesn't matter to the plot that somebody is what? I have a minor point of, um, not contention, but a minor point of awesomeness there. There is one exception to that. Okay. Mother, who is not human. Ah, that's right. It's that's lovely. interesting. So there's, if you watch Alien, the making of, uh, Memory, the making of an alien, there is one commentator who reads a lot of uh, gender-based analysis in the movie. I did not agree with what that commentator said at all because- a lot of what that person said, well, this is because it's like, but Ripley could have just as easily been cast as a man because the script was not written giving a shit. Right. And for, from my perspective, I appreciated that in, in this day and age, that would have been very, a very hard sell in 1982 for okay. me, okay. but to see it and see it as, yeah, you know, and then look back at the movie and sort of say like, huh. I mean, yeah, I guess that could be true, but it's it's the other side of that that's more important to me. Ripley broke ground without breaking ground. Yeah. She, it wasn't, here's your shiny, strong, just as big as the big boys girl. It was, here's Ripley. Yep. And that broke ground by being normalized. It, it broke, yeah, normalizing. And so 30, that's what I try you know, to do in my work. So too, like, is normalize. exactly. So like what, why I appreciate that one commentator. And I agree that it, it is, there's two commentators in origin, the making of an alien yeah. that uh, I was like, cool. I appreciate you have a lot of opinions. I also appreciate maybe 20 to maybe 40% of those. In but one of the things that was so interesting about that is I am glad to have that perspective 40 years later when there are so many movies that make the point that aliens did or alien did inherently by beating you over the head with beating it. And it is it. Yeah. less impressive when they do that. It's much more powerful when it just happens inherently. I and think. it was what was great. What's fascinating about film analysis and analysis of artworks and literature in general is everything the commentators were talking about saying is very accurate if you only watch the movie. Mm -hmm. But once you get the backstory and then you're like, oh, they did it because of this and they, they, they ran out of money here. So they did this other thing. Then you go back and look at that commentary. You're like that commentary, it does, it's, it's skewed away from the actual reality. You got to remember guys, when you see stuff on, on up on a screen, it is, it is not always what you think. There are times where they are pinching pennies. They run out of time. The best thing you can do, if you are a fan of film, you can go watch Saw and then get the DVD or, or download the Saw with the, with the uh, director and writer commentary. You'll watch Saw, which I think is a fantastic, low budget, really well done movie. 
Then you watch it with the director and the writer commentary and you start to be like, I thought that was a brilliant move. And they literally, the guy who was supposed to do what he's supposed to do couldn't make it because he had the flu. So they had to get this other guy. Yeah. It's act, complete accidental in the creativity in the moment. And there's that story that you've heard, everybody has heard, and most people probably think is apocryphal, but it isn't, is Bruce the shark in Jaws. Okay, tell me We would have seen so much more of the shark. But it looked like shit. But it, and it didn't work. It had a hydraulic mouth that wouldn't always work because then you put it in water. So it got, it got too convoluted. And so they couldn't trust it. And because they couldn't trust it, it sort of looked like shit. Yeah. So you see, and, and you actually can look up like, um, when the first time the, that, that the shark, um, gets to the boat, mm-hmm. it's, oh my gosh, ludicrous. Yeah. It's literally. So that clip is out there somewhere and you can see it. Yes, you can see it. And you're, I agree. Yes. I don't think I could have had more shark. What I never thought before I saw that clip on YouTube, before YouTube existed was gosh, that was silly. Yeah. It looked terrible. But I never thought about it because all of the not quite seeing the shark, but just fearing the the shark and the, the idea of the yes. shark was so powerful. And that's Jaws and Alien. And they sold Alien based on a three-word pitch, Jaws in space. That's how they sold it. And what's fascinating about the both movies is both movies are very scary because they don't show the monster. And not showing the monster wasn't necessarily a directorial or script writing decision. It was a decision made after the fact because their monsters looked horrible. And when they show the monster in certain areas, you're like, dude, no one's, people are going to walk out of the theater. This looks like a rubber suit. It looks horrible. So the studio is like, just cut it, cut, 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 mm-hmm. get rid of that. And, and that is, the studio thought Alien was going to be a bomb. They were very disappointed in the whole thing and it blew people away. And that was because there was so much that wasn't shown and let your imagination run away with you. And that's what got scary. Mm-hmm. So now we, um, you guys, uh, we have the tournament coming up. So I'm going to have to race through a lot of this stuff. Here we go. Which is probably fine. Which is probably fine. At 26 minutes, we see the alien ship uh, and great use of silence. A lot of darkness and silence. Great use, uh, great talent by the acting the actors by being amazed by what they see, which is the storytellers clue to us like, oh, this is not normal at all. Without saying saying it all that much, we realize like, no, even though these are interstellar travelers, they've never seen an alien race. Yeah. No one has. Yeah. And that the, 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 the storytelling subtlety of letting the actors' facial expressions and dialogue carry the whole backstory, it's phenomenal world building. 30 minutes in, we get the space jockey. This is an absolute iconic scene. In memory, the documentary, they say they, this is what's amazing. They had to fight the studio to keep this scene in the movie mm-hmm. because the, the, the studio is like, why do you got to show this? It doesn't do anything. Let's just get rid of it. We'll save all this money. And Ridley Scott had to be a gangster, had to fight hard for it. And it's crazy to me because it's, it foreshadows two things. Number one, it's your first hint that something is going to burst out of something. Mm-hmm. First time you watch Alien, you have no idea. It looks like something exploded out of his chest. Bullet wound? We don't know. There's no idea. And then there's the hole in the floor, which is caused by the acid of the thing melting through it. There's a lot going on. We find the huge underground chamber. 34 minutes in, we find the first egg scene. And I want to talk about this for a minute because this is what I channeled heavily for Alien's Phalanx. 
Uh, I can't believe we've made it um, 52 minutes into a podcast and I haven't told people I wrote an aliens book, an official canonical aliens book called Aliens Phalanx. I mean, it is the apocalypse, so I think we get a pass. Thank you guys. I'm glad, pass. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you remembered to bring it up. It's also, here's what's spectacular about this. I'm totally telling everybody. I've, I've worked with you since late 2008, early 2009. We mm-hmm. have been a, an official legal partnership since 2013. Mm-hmm. This book is the first book that I've of yours that you have written. Phalanx. Phalanx, mm-hmm. Aliens Phalanx, that I've ever heard you say something good about. <laughs> and I'm not even kidding you guys. I'm not saying he was like, well, you know, I don't know. Um, M was a good character, but the rest of the book was literally the first good thing I have ever heard Scott say about a finished book of his own that has to do with his work is that this book isn't, isn't terrible. Yeah. And there are some things he really likes about this book. What's crazy about that is many people are saying, yeah, this is definitely the best aliens book I've ever read, but it's also, I think maybe Scott's best. I've had a lot of hardcore fans like this have been like begrudgingly say like, I honestly think this, this media tie-in is the best thing he's ever written. And it's crazy. Right. Right. Okay. So 34 minutes in 30 seconds in, when you guys watch this, pay attention to John Hurt in the spacesuit in the egg scene. I ch- I watched this over and over and over again, writing Aliens Failings. For a particular scene, well, I will not mention in case you haven't read that. 38 minutes in, tension expansion continues. We see our first facehugger hugging a face, which is nice. Facehuggers are loving creatures. I mean. They are. They want to hug you. Ma- I don't, I had a cat once, a, a foster cat <laughs> okay. who had, who was feral and it was like six degrees in New York city in the winter. And so they captured him and he was, and so we had him in the house. His name was Pickles. Pickles was, did not know his name was Pickles, did not know he was feral, did not know what the F he was doing uh-huh. in my apartment. Uh-huh. I, it was not loving <laughs> he absolutely wanted to get all over us, but it was not uh, for love. Poor, poor pickles. For one interesting thing, going back to speaking about cats and pickles and uh, Jonesy, this is one of the greatest horror movies of all time. Hands down, inarguable, inarguable. No one can come out and say this is not a good horror movie. They have three separate things that are called a jumping cat scare. Mm-hmm. In the movies, there is a phrase called, that's a jumping cat, where they have something harmless in a moment of tension, while our characters are afraid for their lives and looking for danger. There's a or something <laughs> jumps out at them. And something, it could be a cuckoo clock. It could be things falling out of a closet. Yeah, it could be anything. And the phrase is used, is called the jumping cat scare, in case a jumping cat jumps up. It's, it does it. The best horror movie possibly of all time does it three times with the jumping cat scare, which and is almost, so amateurish. And two of them super in a row. Yeah, they're super close. Two of them close. are like 30, 30, maybe 40 seconds apart. It's when you go back and look at it, out of all the things this movie got right, and don't get me wrong, this is some next level shit going on in this movie. Mm-hmm. Three cheesy, easy, lazy jumping cat scares is kind of shocking. 51 minutes in, we realize that they have a, uh, I, I put this down. They have a dead organism, a dead face hugger. They already know it's acid for blood that is melted through three decks of the ship. And they're like, ah, let's keep it. It's fine. But what happens the, when it decomposes for fuck's sake? And here's the crazy part. Before they say, let's keep it, it's good. This happens. They go from deck to deck to deck as a team mm-hmm. for no reason. 
Instead of Dallas, you go to the second deck, you go to the, you go to the fourth deck, you go to the, and then they could just look up at each other and know that it was a problem or report through the system that like, it's not on deck five. Right. They go as a team. What? That is not, that's weird that they're doing that. And it's this, it's, it's something that can melt the fabric of their ship. Yep. And they're like, cool, we'll just go as it will. It's like little, little Red Riding Hood. We'll, we'll, we'll go. We'll stop we'll go. for a snack yeah, along yeah, the way. It'll be not? good. Let's all go together. 52 minutes in. I appreciate this. I do not believe that this was in the theatrical cut. 52 minutes in, a character actually says, engage artificial gravity. So that is Dan O'Bannon being like me, Woo-woo. who's like, 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 well, we don't have, Dan, we don't have to tell them. Everybody knows we can't shoot a movie in artificial gravity. It's, it's 1979. And Dan's like, we have to establish this. In space, you float. They're on the ground. We have to establish this. Probably Dan O'Bannon fought for that. And finally gives his revenge in the director's cut. Yes. Uh, 54 minutes, 30 seconds in. Kane's condition has changed. What happened? And this, and then there's... Uh, I mean, oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. There's some cheesiness in there. Kane's like, you better just come see. I had flashbacks to my traumatic experience watching Lost believing right up to the last episode of Lost that they were going to explain everything. And how many times in Lost would have been like, oh, I went shopping today. Hey, I went shopping today. And if I tell you that, everything is fine. But no, I don't tell you that. I say, I wasn't around. And like, you're watching like, why don't you just tell the motherfucker what's going on? You're on an intercom. He can hear your voice. Tell him. Yeah. And here's the thing. I'm going to insert this here. This is my biggest complaint overall because I am such an apple polisher of a human. Uh Oh my gosh. You know what? This whole thing could have been avoided okay. by the one person who insists we have a protocol for this. Yeah. Don't do it. Yeah. And then that's Ripley. Yeah. And then Veronica, what's Veronica? Lambert is her character's name. Yeah. And then the, the, they, they let back in the team that came back and whatever, which as we now know has, Based has, on John has right now has led in a pathogen. And when... And everybody's worried about, well, we got to save him. He can't just die. We got to save him. He can't just die. And Ripley is like, dudes, we all may die. Mm-hmm. And they're like, but we got to save him. He can't just die. And then when it's apparent that they're all probably going to die, what happens is Lambert smacks Ripley. Yeah. I had to beat the piss out of I, her. I, and I, I don't beat anybody for any reason. And I never true. will. That's true. And I'm like, y'all are all I mean, idiots. And somebody should have said- that dude. Somebody should Dotted. have said, you know what, Ripley, you were right. And that never happens. And nobody and apologizes I, Ripley. And I love that it doesn't happen because that's not what you do in that moment. It's also, true. People, people are assholes. They won't admit they're wrong. So nobody apologizes Ripley. But it's both things. It's also, that's not the most important thing at that time, but I got to give Ripley a little bit of props. So we get to one minute and three seconds and John, oh gosh. And uh, we get the, one of the jumping cat scares. And then all of a sudden this brilliant, phenomenal writing where they know there's something alien that has dis- jumped out of them, human being's chest, and killed the guy, is loose on the ship, and they don't want it as acid for blood. They're like, cat jumps out, and they're like, oh, I'll go get it. And like a bad movie with teenagers going to a haunted house, they let him go off by himself. And of course, he gets munched. And it's- Munched. It's, it's, <laughs> it's so, the scene is so well done. It, I pro- it probably took me three or four times- five times through viewing it to look at that and like, what the, f-? no, they would not let him go by himself. Oh, it's a cat. I'll go get it. Like there's still a goddamn alien on board. Which we all know killed one of ours. Yeah. A kid jumped out of his chest and shit. So we're going to speed through this. Here we go. One minute, 13 seconds. Some more bad writing. In my opinion, we've got Dallas and Tom Skerritt in the air vents. 
He is communicating via radio with the rest of his crew. He puts his hand in slime. We haven't seen slime yet. He puts his hand in slime while chasing the alien, doesn't think to mention it to anyone that, oh, there's a bunch of slime in here. I might be in a lot of trouble. He does say, I want to get out of here. And that part is great. That's good acting. Real calm. He's supposed to be the captain. He's losing his shit subtly. He's like, get me out of here. But no, just say, oh, there's some slime. One minute, 19 seconds in, what I think is the single best moment of this movie, including the chestburster scene, is the absolute subtlety of Ridley overriding the protocols of the ship, reading Mother's message, and learning that the crew is expendable. So these are, get ready to drink, here comes this workaday crew who's doing a flying an interstellar tow truck, and they just want to get home and get their bonus and go on and get their drink on, and they find out that they are they have been sacked, their lives are so unimportant I say this, but at the same time, we're looking at people doing Amazon shipping and working at Walmart and everything else in the CDC right now. Yeah, And I'm like, I want to hang out with my friends in the apartment building. Corporations don't give a shit about you. They still don't give a shit about you. And the crew literally like it takes it to the next level. Crews expendable. One minute, 19 seconds in, I had to look this up. You guys who are pedantic like me might look this up. Continuity here. Ripley is bleeding from the nose, but never has any contact to her face when she fights Ash. No, she never gets hit in the face. The next scene, she has a bloody nose. But she gets into a fight with Lambert. Lambert decks her. No, but that is well, well, well after. Oh, all right, all right. It turns out she is bleeding from the nose for a scene that was cut from the theatrical and did not make it into the director's cut, where they try to blast the alien into space. So the pressure change forces her nose to rupture. Fantastic. So now it's very thin and easily like any activity can make her nose run. That's complete. I had to go on to like a Reddit to find that out. It was super interesting. One minute, 22 seconds into the movie. Ash is a goddamn robot. Not one minute. One hour, 22 minutes in. Ash is a goddamn robot. Um, And one minute, 26 seconds, they're using a flamethrower on a spaceship. Not to kill, but to burn. It's no problem. Just burning ash with it. Like, he's an android with his head ripped off. He's fine. You don't need to use up all the oxygen in your ship. Also, I know that there's... I don't have a timestamp for this, but why is it raining? I believe there's a reason for that. It is raining in a scene because that is part of the cooling structure. The ship clearly has a nuclear-powered power plant. Nuclear power plant requires cooling. The steam has to cool and condense and come back down. That is the condensation area for a nuclear power plant. All right, all right. That's I'll what take, I'm going I for. will accept that for sure. One minute, one hour, 27 minutes in the movie, they split up again. There's three people left. There is it's so strategically stupid. This is the bad horror, the bad horror writing number two moment. They know a giant alien that's killing people is moving around the ship. They would be better off together. Three people with flamethrowers and a motion detector is better than one person with a flamethrower. Okay. I'm going to say something that's sacrilegious right here. You guys all know that I love the dog of doom. I mean, you do love the dog hey, of doom. What do you think about the squeaks? I, of course I love the squeaky. I love the squeaks. I'm going to tell you guys right now, no matter how much I love dogs, if I am on an interstellar garbage truck, a tow truck, and there is a larger than man-sized alien that has killed half of my crew, I am not going back for the goddamn dog. I'm going to say it right now. If that makes me, if that makes me the bad guy, I'm the bad guy. I I mean, you thrive on being the bad guy let's be fair yes but i i will say i think i agree with you i would for sure think my girls but i'm not sure that i would go back and get them 
mostly because there's no tobin biometrics. <laughs> That's <laughs> so you know it- plus twenty experience points for that thro- <laughs> that callback. That was strong. That was strong. One hour thirty one minute thirty one minutes and the actual deaths of Parker and Lambert. This is because the movie the movie overall is so good and really Scott is so good. You have to watch the movie five six seven times to realize this is a terrible death scene. It's terrible. The first few times, I'm like oh my god, that was awesome, and it's it's just bad. You can't see what's going on, uh, and that's is that I think it's because Ridley and the director and the, the the studio didn't like how the monster looked, so you barely see anything of the monster at all in this. Or was it a directorial decision to keep the monster out of the screen, out of the scene? Yeah, and you know the other thing is the monster as it as it ended up was quite quite dark, right? Mm-hmm. So the only way you get that is to light up those dank dark hallways too. So who knows? I don't know. Do you know what it was? Was it a, like an artistic director choice? A cinematographer choice? We don't, I don't know either. I believe that's one of the scenes where, you know, that is absolutely, if you go on YouTube, you can find the scenes where Lambert is crying while the alien walks toward her. And it's terrible. And that is nothing bad against the special effects, the practical effects people, nothing bad against Ribley. They didn't have the technology at the time to make an alien that you could look at walking towards you. Stan Winston couldn't pull it off. And uh, so they just cut it because it looks so terrible. So that is the reason. And that's, again, why this is such a classic is because stuff they had to leave in the cutting room floor. One hour, 33 minutes in. We and I both loved how complicated they make the self-destruct system for a ship. (laughs) There's no accidentally setting your coffee cup down on a button and saying, oops, oh, we're all going to die. It's very complicated. You've seen that meme like, oh, I didn't even mean to... to post this selfie and like some <laughs> comment is like, what are you talking about? It's like seven steps to get that to internet into, and then another two to get it to Facebook. It's that same level of rational reality. And then this, if you're still listening, this is the reason you need to watch the director's cut at one hour and 35 minutes. And the cutscene of all cutscenes of all time that was left on the cutting room floor. We've got Dallas and Brett both turning into eggs. Mm-hmm. And this is difficult. That's what I've read. They're turning into eggs, but we're not sure they could just as easily be cocooned from that scene. Dallas asks Ripley to kill him, which is the first moment in the franchise where kill me comes in and it's re- it's, it's done repeatedly. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a said while we're watching it, uh, sorry, you're too late. You're spoiled meat. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what that meant, but it was a, uh, and then we get to some other silliness. The alien comes up. Clearly, if you have know anything about science and biology, this alien has to eat something to get that big. Comes up on Jonesy. Here's a nice, tasty morsel. Eat the cat. Doesn't eat the cat. My friend Danny and Baker and I and Rob Otto and I saw this movie on VHS back in the day. We were we couldn't wait for the movie Aliens because mm. we knew there was going to be alien coming out of Jonesy the cat. All right. Keep All in right. mind, alien, right. when Alien came out, there was no queen. Queen right, had not been established. Yeah, of course. So we thought for sure the alien somehow impregnated Jonesy, which is a whole different, uh, that's a whole genre we're not going to get and into. And spoiler alert, does not happen. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> Ridley does a good job at, Ridley and Lambert both do great jobs as actresses of, of as actors of showing what you, what, what it's probably really like 
when you are in a life and death situation and you know you're screwed. We've got people who can't move. They're so scared. Some of the breathing, and that's, I'm sure that's Ridley Scott. Like when you listen to Lambert's death scene, her ragged breathing and trying to form words and everything, like that scared the crap out of me. Because I have been in situations where I've been that scared. And that's, that's about what it's like. That being said, Ripley stays pretty cool in the pocket. Uh, hold on here. So here's a, a quick confessional. The climax of Aliens Phalanx and the climax of Alone, book three of the Generations trilogy, have some similarities. And I didn't know that when I was writing Phalanx until I'm like, wait a minute, these are very, very similar scenes. And it, as you know, that mm-hmm. was very upsetting to mm. me. So I'm trying to, I'm constantly trying to I was actually being quiet because I... Um it was so upsetting to you. So when you brought this up, I was like, okay, I'm going to sit on my hands and keep my mouth shut because that might be behind the curtain too much. But your, uh, your moment of revelation for that was so hard for me to watch because for you as a creator, you don't want that. But for me as a consumer of that, of entertainment, I was like, Oh, 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 fine. That's an homage. I'm okay with that. And you were like, not, you're not okay. I was like, but I do think I'm okay with that, but you have. I am telling you, you're not okay with this. But your take is, I, your take then, which was so surprising to me, was you deserve better. Reader, like, des- the reader am, always the deserves reader, better. That's what you said. The reader deserves better. I'm like, but I am telling you, I am fine. I am good. I am happy. I am perfectly in this zone. And you're like, nope, you deserve better. I'm like, I deserve better than I want. Really? <laughs> okay. So this movie helped me a lot because it took me. All the viewings, I've seen the movie Aliens over 100 times. It's probably somewhere in the ballpark of 20 to 25 times I've seen the movie Alien. And only now did I realize that the endings of Alien and Aliens are the same shit. We've got to go to this spaceship because this whole place is going to blow up and we is going to be the ticking clock of getting us off of here and the monsters are trying to stop us from getting away. We might die before we get away. Uh, And then something nuclear is going to go boom. Mm -hmm. They're exactly, exactly the same ending. So I feel a little bit better. But also to be fair, that is, that's sort of what you worry about on a garbage truck in space. Yes. And both of the movies also have the fake ending with the happy music. It like, if you watch them side by side, they are the same goddamn ending. So there you go. And then finally, at 142, a little pedantic detail. Um, Ripley is in the shuttle getting away. She's in the cockpit. We're watching her. And somehow is the shuttle flying backwards? We know it's not because we see it take off forward. But when you watch the film, you see that she is flying away from the ship and the lights are going away from you, which would not happen if she's in the cockpit. You would see the lights coming toward you. True. We had to pause and talk about that for like 20 minutes. Uh, and then of course there's the nuclear explosion, which a at one minute, 43 seconds said, sorry about the cancer, Ripley. Yeah. You know, what are you going to do? You're going to catch a big old wave of radiation. All right. And then 146 is where it gets super cool. What's interesting. This is the last point about the movie. What's interesting about this is they left so much of the alien on the cutting room floor because it looked terrible. And if you watch the movie, pay attention to the Dallas death scene. That alien is terrible. When it reaches his hands out, it's like, it looks so cheesy. And even though they only cut it down to maybe a second and a half, it's jarring how bad and dumb it actually looks. Now, now even then, even then I saw that was, that was terrible. But then you get into the shuttle with Ripley and that alien comes when she lights off the gas and that alien comes crawling out. Like, first of all, it's so well hidden in the black 
tubular control system of the shuttle. When that alien comes out, it looks as real as hell. And like, it's so interesting that in that final scene, it looks so good. And yet there's so much of the alien that looks so bad. But I think a lot of that has to do with the scene itself, right? Like, so depending on how, how far pulled back the camera is or how broad the scene is, you can't control the real solid, practical, great effects of the scene itself and all that stuff. Kind of, right? Like you don't know. Well, and you know, I kind of, I can't spend the entire, like that's a weird, and it may have been a weird director's choice, honestly, but it, it, you can't spend, like, you have to be able to justify like, cool, I put your entire alien in that movie instead of just the torso or whatever. Okay. And, uh, And the right answer we know now was like, justify it by saying you get the movie you want, you deserve, Mm -hmm. not you get to see the alien for two seconds. But I also wonder if it's possible if there was an argument that said, I don't care. We spent, I don't know, it was 1979. (laughs) We spent $700 on that alien. (laughs) I need to see the whole thing at least for one second. That's $472,000 in today's money, by the way. (laughs) Well, okay. You didn't do no math there. I did. I know. I know more about math than anyone. Uh, So the alien's hiding in plain sight. It's great. I also like the fact that he's, he's full. That explains why Jonesy did get eaten. He's eaten all these people. He's full. He's and, take, he, and that's his store. That's his pantry. Yeah. Everybody's like, on that. Yeah, they're both on that. It's like together. post Thanksgiving for the alien. He's got a belly full of engineers and flight crew. And he's, you know what, you guys, I'll get back to eating people. I just got, I got to take a little nap. Yeah. Uh, and then but one, you guys do less exercise because I like it kind of I like fatty. It. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Um, one hour, 49 minutes in the movie. Pay attention to this, you guys, when you watch it. Ridley Scott busts out what Ripley puts on to go do the final battle with the alien. It is straight up white samurai armor. Mm-hmm. And it was fun because I look, I point that I'm like, look, that's like samurai armor. And A is like, holy shit, that's mm-hmm. samurai armor. It's dope. And then um, one hour, 51 minutes in, I mentioned, what is she waiting for to blow the hatch? She turns her back on the monster. What? And I put down four question marks. <laughs> Don't turn your back on the monster. <laughs> what? Just open the goddamn hatch and blow him out the goddamn door. You're not happy. I, there's, and I, I would like to think, this is the last thing I said, we'll finish up. I would like to think that, that um, Sigourney Weaver sat down with that and it's like, why would he turn his, why would she turn her back to the monster? No one would turn their back to the monster. Mm-hmm. And Ripley's like, Bubbala, just do it. I don't uh, know. You mean Ridley. Ridley. What'd I say, Ripley? Yep. Ripley, Ridley. Also, let's talk about Ridley Scott's c- conceited ego, tame and character, Ripley, when he's Ridley. I think that's what's going on I mean, right but there. that, I mean, to be fair, we know that that was the script, the Dan O'Bannon <laughs> script. Because Dan O'Bannon's smart. He's like, I got to cater to this guy. All right, you guys, this has been possibly the longest story smack The ever. longest, shortest story smack. We rushed it through what? the end. Yeah. Yes. We had so much to talk about, though, because, you know, end of the world. This was a fun one, though. I, I but I have, have a couple more things to say. Okay. I will say, for my perspective as not not a, um, no, not an acolyte to the religion of alien. It is a religion. Yes. And I absolutely have seen them all more than, well, I've seen the first two more than once. Well, you've known me for 13 years. So you've had to watch them repeatedly, but I don't think a lot there, but I've seen them more than once. I enjoy them. I, I, I am interested in this sort of grungy sci-fi, but I am not Sigler here. And I will say that the rewatch that we did where we watched memory origins of an alien and Mm -hmm. then watched the director's cut 
was awesome and fun. And you guys may have a little more time on your hands in the next few weeks. It's possible. Some of you might. Some of you and might. And this is easy for you to do, I think. And it's worth it, I thought, to do it. And I really, really enjoyed it. And Scott, who is an acolyte, also, I believe, enjoyed it. Um, so that's one thing I have to say. And then the other, and I've been scanning to try and find it, and I haven't been able to, but I will find it and link to it in the show notes. Um, you guys know that's Scott um, came up in the podcasting space with an, a wonderful man who is a wonderful author, and his name is J.C. Hutchins. Mm-hmm. And J.C. Hutchins' wife, uh, I only know because of Facebook, had the best take I have ever heard on the Aliens franchise. Okay. Or specifically not the Aliens franchise, the Alien movie, which is, uh, he asked her what, he, what she thought of the movie, and she was like, okay, so the smart woman tells everybody to trust her and this is bad and nobody listens to the woman and only the woman and her cat survive. <laughs> and I kind of laughed at that for ages. And it's, it's much more, uh, his wife is a lovely writer as well. And, um, yeah, she's a very accomplished writer. Yeah. And, and really lovely books. And, um, her name is Eleanor Brown. Yep. And, um, I will find that and link to his Facebook. If you're friends with him, you'll be able to see it. And maybe I'll ask him to send me a clip of it. But I laughed. I laugh every time I think of it because there's so much wonderfulness to alien the movie. I know it's not as good as aliens. Nothing is. Nothing is. Nothing ever will be. Nothing is. But uh, it makes me so happy because it's totally true. And yet it's still worth watching all of that. So what we're going to do here, just in case you're going to be listening to this right now, it's Wednesday. You're going to be listening to this probably on Monday or Tuesday of next week. Um, Who knows? We'll put it out as soon as we can. Um, We will pick, as Scott said earlier, we are going, our next book we're going to or our next movie, sorry, that we're going to pick to story smack about, we'll go with the wheel of death. The yeah. Is it the wheel of death? Wheel of death. Wheel of death. Wheels of death. Wheels of death. And yes. we're going to um, pick a movie that you guys can all watch on Netflix uh, at the very least and um, and then figure out when we're going to watch that and podcast about it. Thank you guys for tuning in to episode number 50 of Story. And to 50. be honest, we should Sigler's have had, day. we should have known, Sigler's Ascension Day. Yeah. We should have saved aliens for the 50th, but we already did aliens. I think. Uh, we, we, t- we just, t- I don't think we've done. God damn it. We didn't do aliens. I th- I'm not sure we did an entire, oh! but we talk about aliens. There's a burning in my chest. What's happening? We oh! may, we may have. Well, I'll ask big John. Okay. Um, <laughs> After 50, you guys, we start to forget the ones we've done, but I, we talk about it all the time. Oh, there's, it's my, yes. It's the reason you guys have books to read is because of that movie. So there yeah. you go. All right. We're going to finish up. We got to get ready to go on Facebook live at scottsigler.com slash Facebook. And although by the time you hear this, we will not be live for this, but keep going there. I know a lot of you hate Facebook. I understand. I completely understand. The trouble is we got 23,000 Ziggler fans in our Facebook group, and this is a great way to reach out to people. During this crazy, crazy time. So we're going to stick with Facebook. Also, Facebook has done a great job at tools. Like it's just hit the live button and boom, we're done. We're on. So there you go. So we'll say stay safe. Yep. Stay inside if you're non-essential. I mean, you're all essential to us. Understand. Yep. And thank you to our essential workers. And especially thank you to the people who are doing their work every single day day that we can't do. We're doing our part by staying inside. We encourage all of you who are able to stay inside, stay inside. We're going to try and help you bring up some of that boredom by entertaining you with our buffoonery. Buffoonery. And we will talk to you all real real soon.
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics, and sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot-button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.